Guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Well, the call to discipleship, to take up one's cross and follow, is firm and immediate and total. Many of us here present who come and present, present ourselves for worship each Sunday have a clear sense that we have to change. We have to be ready to respond to God's will in our lives in order to bring them into conformity with his will. And so we exert ourselves by the grace of God to keep the commandments and eliminate those things out of our lives that are obviously sinful. But to become a new creation, to see the world through God's eyes, to act in and through the heart of Jesus, we avoid this. We perhaps cling to what seems, if not outright sinful, at least normal, respectable. To some extent, we continue to be entrenched in our own self-assertion, our own self-will. We feel no obligation of loving our enemies. We make allowances for our own pride when we're humiliated or attacked. We rationalize, we justify. We still are attached to that, I guess, standard of human respect rather than seeking justification before God and God alone. Again and again, the call to follow me reminds us how unrelenting and uncompromising it is. Our scripture readings today emphasize this theme, the call to follow me. Elijah chooses his successor and calls into prophetic service this man Elisha in the midst of his daily activities. And his reasonable request to go and take his leave from his family isn't denied so much as of dismissed, almost mocked. Elijah says, I didn't say you couldn't go spend time with your family. I called you to follow me. And Elisha, in response, instead of going and, and making allowances for himself, destroys the opportunity to go back to his old life, in a sense, barring the exit. And he embarks and follows. So it is in our own call. We're addressed by the Lord to make a break with the standards of the world. Now, for us, this doesn't necessarily mean giving away everything, right? destroying our property, or quitting our jobs, though it may mean that for some of us. But it does mean giving away our old self, our natural self, what we're given, the raw material of our personality and our character, and become radically open, radically in the sense of at the root, at the center of my life, open to Christ's work, to Christ's action and his call. Maybe to flesh this out with a couple of examples. How often do we feel justified in responding aggressively to others when they attack us? How many of us have seen children fighting over the most trivial things? Right? Stuff that I used to fight with my sister about. She would uh, touch my side of the back seat, right? <laughs> and this would ignite a feud that would last for hours, right? And all of that justified by that simple phrase, he started it, 
She started it. And we see how silly that is as children. But how many of our own conflicts, our own grudges, our own feuds, boil down to the same justification? Right? They started it. They started it. That call to forgive our enemies, to love them and pray for them, and to do so in explicit imitation of Christ, and to do so with the strength that Christ alone gives, well, that doesn't expire with our passage to adulthood, no matter how we may rationalize on a worldly way of thinking. More often than not, we may pride ourselves on our forgiveness, on our decision not to retaliate when we've been wounded somehow, but yet we carry on a whisper campaign against that person, to spread abroad the sins of those who have wounded us somehow, and a kind of underground aggression takes root within us. A very difficult area to bring under the lordship of Christ, those temptations to gossip, the sins of speech. We often will see these as relatively unimportant. Yeah, yeah, sure, I say Say stuff from time to time. Yeah, I've, I've maybe talked a little bit about my neighbor and mentioned some things that happened in the past, but you know, it's not like I'm robbing banks or anything, right? Jesus warns us. Every single one of us will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that we've spoken. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Gossip is that form of speech that harms the reputation of others, either through outright deception or exaggerations of the truth, or true things that are shared with those who don't have any business knowing them, those who wouldn't otherwise know about the faults or sins of others. That sin of backbiting, the secret and quiet injury of a person's good name, That person about whom we speak isn't present to either defend themselves or clarify what's being said. And whether this is based in a lie or a deception or whether it's true, either way, we commit an injustice to that person. Think of those situations where we might start off speaking positively about someone and then the but comes in the middle of the sentence. And I proceed to mention a fault or an annoying trait that that person has. Yeah, my roommate's a great guy, but man, he is a slob. I really love my sister, but, you know, she can get on my nerves. Suppose after uh, moving in with Father Farrar this week, I were to acquire some great homily material based on our common living situation from his numerous faults. And I were to begin my homilies each week with a little story, a little anecdote from the past week, you know, about some flaw, some foible. All true. It's not like I'm making things up about him. What would be the thing that comes to mind when you saw him? Would it be his priestly vocation, his leadership of that parish, his yes to God and his willingness to serve despite maybe weaknesses and those human foibles that hold all of us back? Or would it be those little amusing anecdotes that I tell at his expense? Wouldn't that be to deprive him of the basic honor that I owe him 
as a friend, as a fellow priest. And often it's about priests that we feel like we have the greatest license to be able to speak our minds. I remember when I was first ordained, I came to a parish and I succeeded another priest who uh, didn't always get along with the people that he served. But he happened to be a friend of mine. And I don't know if it was an attempt to make me feel welcome or somehow build me up, but inevitably people would say something along the lines of, we're so glad you're here, Father Nick. Compared to the last guy, you're great. This was repeated over and over and over again. As if I somehow wanted this kind of affirmation. Because what effect did that have but to say, hey, you better be the kind of priest that we like or we're going to talk about you to the next one that comes along. Trafficking in reputations. Gossip divides a community. It breaks down trust. It breaks down the bonds that hold us together. And we do it without even thinking, don't we? It's just common. But that, my friends, is not the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit of the world that moves us so. St. Paul warns us, stop biting and consuming, devouring one another, lest you consume your community. One of the most precious things a person has is their reputation, because it's my reputation that allows allows me to interrelate with other people, to engage with them, just about every other form of human interaction that we have. So it's a very serious thing to harm the reputation of another person. Aquinas, the great teacher on moral theology, points out that backbiting, telling, uh, telling stories about another person, whether true or false, in order to destroy the reputation, is a sin that can be even more serious than theft. Quoting the book of Proverbs, a good name, a good reputation, is to be chosen over wealth and riches. So to take away someone's good name is a more grave offense than to take away that person's property. And though this isn't always the case when we talk about maybe minor matters or small faults or foibles, we we ought to not just dismiss the possibility that what we think is a small thing might actually cause greater harm than we imagine or than we realize. How often are we really sure about the things that we say about others? How much of it is real knowledge and how much of it is hearsay? that's embellished and enriched in the retelling? Do we consider it a mark of intelligence to be suspicious of others' good reputations and read into situations, things that aren't there? Do we think it's naive to believe the best about someone unless we're given concrete evidence otherwise? And if we do have concrete evidence that everyone knows about, is there anything that needs to be said about that? It's already known. More often than not, all that's asked of us is summed up in that old Danish proverb, gossip ever drowns before a good woman's door. Brothers and sisters, the call to discipleship is about something far more than just eliminating sin out of our lives. The change that God asks of us, the call, the invitation, is a call to perfection, A call to perfection in the supernatural life. And this includes not just leaving behind sins, but even our good qualities. As indicated in our 
gospel reading today, which this man is called to leave behind even those acts of justice towards his family, right? a good thing, a blessing that he had been given by God. Discipleship is about more than eliminating defects, but on becoming a new creature, a new creation in all things, because even what is naturally good is insufficient before God. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, says St. James in his letter. And so we pray and set our hearts on this noble goal that we would be recreated. Set a watch before my mouth, O Lord, and a door of prudence around my lips, that my heart incline me not towards evil words to make excuses in sinning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.